0: Hi friends, and welcome to a bonus episode of the Oakham Church Podcast. I know in the previous episode I said that that was our last in the mini-series where we were going to the well in John 4, but we're going there again today. We've got one more message, and I want to invite you you to join me at the well again. Jesus finds himself sat at this thousands-year-old well where he, a Jewish rabbi, will meet a Samaritan woman. John chapter 4, verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son. As he was tired from the journey, he sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. We'll leave it there. Of course, we know from previous episodes how the conversation continues. But I wanted to start off by talking about parties. Of course, you all saw it coming. But whenever I'm at a place or wherever I'm meeting new people for a first time, so whether that's at parties or at meetings or other um, conventions and that sort of stuff, whenever you, I'm in a situation where I'm meeting new people, conversation usually starts by finding out, firstly, my name and who I know, so why I'm there kind of thing. And then it very quickly always gets to, what do you do? Maybe you've had this as well. What do you do? That basically doesn't mean what are you doing right now or what is it you do. What they're asking when they say what do you do, that's kind of business or party speak for what's your job. And it's at this point in the conversation that I have to be really careful when I'm answering this question. Because I've learned that that the second that I mention that I'm a pastor or I'm a preacher or that I work for a church... The conversation is either over completely, or it's drastically changed. And so I'm quite guarded, not because I'm ashamed or embarrassed, but because I don't want to either kill a conversation dead, or make it weird or awkward for the other person. And yet that's potentially what we find here at The Well today. When there's Jesus and this woman and all this tension with all this spoken as well as unspoken stuff like gender and relationships and ethnicity and race and religion and politics. All that stuff kind of churned up What could possibly go wrong in this conversation. Partway into this conversation, Jesus stops her and he says, this is where I stopped just before this bit. He says, why don't you go back to your village And fetch your husband and come back here and we can continue this discussion that we're having. The woman's like, um, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, that's true. You're right. You've had five husbands and the one you're now with isn't your husband. Wow. Talk about awkward. That sentence right there is enough to kill a conversation dead or make it very awkward and embarrassing you don't get that from this conversation as it progresses, do you? Why? Why isn't this woman embarrassed? Why doesn't she feel ashamed? And then as the story goes on, she's like, well, it's clear you must be a prophet. And then they have another discussion about theology and worship like we looked at in the last episode. And then she says, well, when the Messiah comes... He'll sort all of this confusion out. And Jesus says, that's me. I am Messiah. Now, after this massive revelation, you'd think that maybe the woman would want to kind of backpedal a bit and be like, oh, OK, well, let me explain my marriages. Let me, me tell you about the current boyfriend situation. Let me, let me expand on this so that you understand where I'm at. But she doesn't do any of that. Instead she leaves her water jar behind, runs back to the village and tells everyone that she can, come and meet a man who told me everything about me. Does any of this sound like a woman who's ashamed? Does any of this stuff going on sound like a woman who's embarrassed? No. Now while all of that's going on in the village, Back at the well, Jesus is talking to his 12 Jewish male disciples. These young men who've been systematically taught to be suspicious at best and even hate at worst anyone who is Samaritan. These disciples, after finding out that Jesus, what he's been up to while they've been looking for lunch, they're, we're told, shocked, they're angry, they're distressed, they're confused, they're offended, they're stunned, one version says. You'd think that this was the uh, perfect teaching moment for, the, for them then, wouldn't you? You'd think Jesus would be able to say, see, your parents, your mums and your dads and your teachers, your uncles, your grandparents, your rabbis, whoever it is, they all, what, all, what they all taught you was wrong. Because they were taught wrong. And because the people who were taught them were taught wrong. You see, I don't hate Samaritans. I love Samaritans and so should you. You need to change. It's the kind of message that we're expecting. It's the kind of teaching moment that perhaps Jesus could have grasped hold of in that moment. But he doesn't. Not outright anyway. He doesn't say any of that. So let's take some time today and look at how Jesus interacts with the Samaritan woman at the well. And then we'll look at how Jesus interacts with his 12 disciples. What I want us to do is to look for Jesus using any kind of shame in this story. See, all the way through this conversation at the well, Jesus keeps trying to go deeper and deeper with the woman, getting under the surface, getting to the heart of the matters. And over and over again, she keeps changing the subject and turning from one thing to another and desperately trying to bring it back up onto this surface level stuff. Why? Why does she keep trying to change the subject? Well, I think that one of the reasons is because in all her other dealings with any other human being, she has experienced one thing over and above everything else, and that's shame. But now, here at the well with Jesus, she's experiencing something different, she's experiencing a, a different kind of encounter because. Because how does this story end? How does this conversation end? Told we She leaves a water jar behind, as we've already said, runs back to the village, telling anyone and everyone who'll listen about Jesus. What does that look like? It looks like hope. It looks like joy. It looks like excitement. It looks like optimism. It looks like the exact opposite of shame. There's no shame at the well that day. Jesus never uses shame or condemnation. And so as we come to the well today, we find no shame or condemnation there either. It's spirit and it's truth in love. And then back at the well with the disciples, with All those kind of side-eyed looks and things secretly thought but unspoken and those things muttered and whispered under each other's breath to each other. All those side-eyed glances, all that suspicion and hatred and fear and racism. Jesus never once shames or condemns those disciples. And Jesus' words and his actions and his posture and his heart are less about declaring and more about demonstrating his love for Samaria and for Samaritans as a whole and for that woman as an individual at that well that day. You see Jesus is a builder. Friends, the question today for us is do our words break people down or do they build people up? What kind of people will we be? Because it's about spirit, and it's about truth in love. Okay, so if this is about shame, or not about shame, depending on which angle we're coming at it from, why do we, as humans, use shame? Why is that a tool? Why is that something that we're able to, to use and misuse and abuse? Why are we able to use that to, to do things to ourselves, but also to do things to others? One reason is Fear. Because of fear, we use shame to try and control ourselves and to try and control other people around us. Unfortunately, throughout history, my job as a pastor has been a position that's been used and abused for power and for position over and over again. One of the ways that it's been done is through shame. By making one person or one group of people ashamed, And by making one person or one group of people feel better about themselves. But shame and condemnation and embarrassment and guilt has never produced anything that lasts. But even though it doesn't work, fear has been able to keep fueling it. Fear has been able to keep that shame going and going. And going. It's why things like racism and sexism and bigotry have been such a commonplace problem throughout all of human history. Because if we can make those people over there the bad guys, then we can, temporarily at least, make us feel better about ourselves over here. We can convince ourselves that we're the good guys. We use shame because of fear. But just listen to what Paul says in Romans 8. This is the, the Passion Translation. Now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the Anointed One. No accusing voice of condemnation. It's done. It's over. It's finished. And so this accusing voice of condemnation should not be a part of the church of Jesus. Not from the stage, not from the leadership, not from our social media, not from anyone participating in any gatherings. So friends, church if I'm able to call you that, we make a stand here and now that we're not going to use the accusing voice of condemnation anymore. We cannot try to use hate to divide hate. Only love can drive out hate. Martin Luther King Jr. famously said that. But back to our story, back at the well, just just look at this newfound hope and joy and excitement and life that this woman has. Look at how Jesus talks to and deals with his disciples at that same well. Hear this from 1 John 3, verses 18 and 19. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. He's talking about love in action. Back to John 4, back to the well, back with Jesus' encounter with the woman, and then later Jesus' encounter with those 12 disciples. What do we see? Love in action. Instead of Jesus condemning, he's demonstrating his love in action. And then 1 John 3, carrying on, verse 20 says this. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Not even just if our hearts condemn us. We could change that slightly and say when our hearts condemn us. We can know that God is greater even than our hearts. Just look around. On the news, on social media, talk to anyone, anywhere And you will quickly realise that there's a lot of fear in our country right now. There's a lot of fear and anxiety and worry in our communities right now. There's a lot of fear in our world right now. But the Bible tells us that the only antidote to all of this fear that we see around us, and maybe the fear that we feel within us, the only antidote is perfect love. There is no fear in love, the Bible says. That perfect love casts out all fear. And that we love because he first loved us. See, because of our fear, we feel condemned, embarrassed, ashamed. Because we haven't been perfected in love. Friends, we need this well again. We need the revelation that this woman gets at this well. We need to focus on the love of Jesus like we've never done before. Because it takes this kind of realization of just how much I'm loved that will then move me towards loving people that I don't. And it will take this kind of revelation to just how much you are loved listening to this podcast right now that will then move you and drive you towards loving the people. That you're not loving at the moment. Friends, may you f- experience that love in action and may it drive you to do the same. Grace and peace.